Some nicknames are for showing affection, others for making fun. The best ones are somewhere in between. My name is Andrew, but for most of my life, people have called me Grog. But where did Grog come from, and what does it mean? We're on a mission to find out. You're listening to Searching for Grog. All right, welcome back to another episode of Searching for Grog. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm here with Brandon and Drew. And guys, I have to tell you, um, this research and this podcast has put me in kind of a weird headspace, to be honest. Like, I'm getting really kind of obsessive about the research, like it's the only thing I can think of. But beyond that, like, I'm getting kind of weirdly emotional. Um, Mm. I don't know, I'll explain that a little bit later. But um, this time, I don't really have any huge bombshells as far as what I have uncovered. But I do have an answer to a question that I don't think any of us have been asking yet, um, which kind of ties this whole thing up for me, to be honest. Um, But I'll get to that in a minute. Before you, before we move on, can I ask you a question? Can we delve, can we delve into your psyche a bit? Let's crack you open a little bit. Do you think that maybe you're starting to get emotional because it's just finally hitting you 13 years later that you abandoned your brothers? <laughs> Ooh, that's a well, bombshell. Let me, let me, let's get to that when we get to that. <laughs> All right. Sounds okay. classic yeah, avoidance. Sure. Right. Perfect. There's something to that. There's something to that. Um, so the last time we wrapped it up, we all had some homework to go and investigate. Um, I was going to go check my contacts, you know, through uh, Bally Midway, you were going to contact a collector. So let me tell you what I have uncovered. All right. Is that okay? Definitely. Yeah. So the method that I did was um, I, I went and looked up different people who have previously worked at Bally Midway uh, because, as you know, they went bankrupt in 2009. And I looked up people who had that on their resume in LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. The thing is, LinkedIn has a feature where if they're not in your network at all, they won't even show their name or anything about them. It'll just show the relevant information that you searched. But I found a kind of convenient hack, which is if you copy and paste exactly what they wrote in their bio and then do a rever- like a reverse search on that on Google, you can actually pull up their name. And uh, once you get their name off of LinkedIn, <laughs> then you can find them on other social networks and things like that. Wow, clever. And I use this technique to pretty good success. So I looked up people who worked at Bally Midway, especially people who would have been there during the time that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And the most promising lead that I found was somebody named Thomas Locke. And he was the VP of sales development at Bally Midway Manufacturing from 1982 to 1985. So it's slightly before the time that they made Trog. But after that, he went to Bandai where he was a leasing specialist for arcade cabinets from 1989 to 1995. Oh, wow. So if anybody knows about how arcade machines are bought and sold in the United States, this guy is the guy to talk Gonna to. be him. Dang. And I found his phone number, and I found his email address, and I tried to contact him, and sadly, he passed away a few years ago. Oh. oh. Of course. 
So the trail went cold on this one. <sighs> and I looked for other people who worked at Ballet Midway. And I found somebody named Brian Collin. Does this name sound familiar to you at all? No. I, okay, I doubt that it would. But he worked at Ballet Midway from 1981 until 1992, which is right in our wheelhouse. This is this is during peak trog time. <laughs> and he's actually the guy who made the game Rampage. Do you remember Rampage? Oh, yes. One of my favorites. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, in fact, and I, while, while I was contacting him, I remembered that like specific memories of us playing Rampage together at like Roundtable Pizza in San Jose. And um, it really like occurred to me in the process of that, that arcade machines, unlike other kind of game machines, have a very specific sense of time and place hmm. connected to them, like the memories do. Yeah. And um, so anyway, yeah, Brian Collin made... Rampage, he made Arch Rivals, which is that basketball game where you can, you know, punch and beat each other up and steal the ball from each other and stuff. So he makes these really fun, brilliant games. And I got a hold of him and I started chatting with him. And he's super friendly, really nice guy. But he said, I'm sorry, I wouldn't know anything about that sales end of things. And at that time, I was mostly working from home. Mm -hmm. So he said, You need to get in touch with Jack Hager, who is the guy who actually created the game right trog the guy who created trog yeah and as you guys know i mentioned before i tried to contact him two or three times through his website i would guess that my email got marked as spam or something because i don't it just i never heard anything back from him so i was ready to just give up on bally midway entirely but i thought you know what i'm gonna try one more time i'm gonna try a different route than just contacting him through his through his website, through his standard email. And I got through. And I've been chatting with him over the past few days. With Jack? And yeah. Oh my, oh my yeah. God. And yeah, he's super friendly. He said, he said he doesn't give interviews um, generally in principle, mm -hmm. but I explained to him what our show is about and said, it's not just a video game fanboy podcast. And he said, he said, that is a really interesting and engaging premise. I got to say. I don't do many interviews, but we can talk and see where this goes. I'm happy to hear that your Trog experience was a positive and somewhat memorable one. That's all we hoped for, to provide some fun, engaging entertainment, and hopefully a few laughs for players internationally of all ages and genders. I mean, what a cool guy, right? Yeah. I can see why you're starting to get emotional a little bit. Yeah, so, so it's just cool. I mean, these guys who created this really you know, lasting kind of powerful stuff for people. Um, they're just really super friendly, cool guys, right? Yeah. And um, so that that's where we are right now with the Bally Midway contacts. I'm not, I don't have any solid information to go off of as far as finding our game, but that's where I went so far. Okay. And so then I decided to check distros. And... I gave you homework last time to talk to collectors to find out what they know. Mm -hmm. Did you find anything out from, from our collector bill? Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, it was a little tough, actually. So uh, I think Brennan and I both tried to... I mean, we played with the idea of calling or emailing him first. Eventually, we did call him, but I didn't get a hold of the guy, similar to your experience. Um, and I figured, you know what? In the modern age, let me just follow up with the text. Since we're both 408 numbers... Maybe it'll be some type of like in, and I did get a hold of him, uh, but again he was pretty shut off. You know, only was really wanting to talk to me about Trog, 
uh, because he owned the Trog arcade machine. And, um, and so we couldn't really get much information from him. But what I did find out is that I believe, and I think I shared this with you, it's about 20, let's see, 500 units were made, right? And only 50 cabinets. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's what you shared with me, yeah, which is, I mean, if there were only 50 dedicated cabinets, that's not many places to hunt down. And 500 yeah. machines total, that reduces the, the amount of hay that we have to dig through to get this needle. Right. So, Unfortunately, though, so with our luck being the way it is, he sold the actual cabinet that he owned that we wanted to play as of like a week before yeah. I contacted him. Um, and it's now at some museum in L.A. So we might chase that one down. We'll see. But it, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that would be cool just to have us play it because I think that might bring up certain kind of muscle memory or, you know what I mean? Sensory memory. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Getting in that moment, having me, you know, maybe I'll stoop down a little bit, get the sizing right. Yeah. <laughs> I would just, I want to see you like throw a fit. Like we start calling you Grog and you actually just like some, some primal part of your brain starts throwing a fit and getting mad at us and don't call me Grog. <laughs> I do think we should go down there. Of course, right now there's not only a really, really bad outbreak of uh, COVID-19, but also crazy riots. Yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, it's so, not the time right now. Yeah. Well, I I chased down a distro on my own. Okay. So there is a really big um, distro called Betson Enterprises, and they are like the main guys in town now. And I found out a few things. First of all, arcade cabinets are not usually, it's not like an exclusive business that's just arcade. So they sell entertainment machinery kind of. So arcade machines, jukeboxes, pinball machines. um, And that includes like photo booths, vending machines, and even like ATM. You know those like private ATM machines that you'll see sometimes at like a, you know, at a store that looks all suspicious. Yeah, it's at a liquor store, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and they're like, it's an $8 fee just to get some cash out. Yeah. So those are all, all of that kind of stuff is distributed by this company called Betson. And I talked to their regional sales manager. His name is Ron Hunt. And he told me, first of all, that games are bought primarily through distribution. Okay. And... So I followed up and I asked him, you know, do they lease them? Is it a financing kind of thing? And he said, he said, most of them will go with the lease option. And then if it's not leased, they'll have like some kind of a financing plan. But the thing about that is if it's leased, the chances of somebody, I mean, the whole purpose of a lease is that it makes it really easy for them to trade it in or to sell it off when they get, you know, when they want to update their machine. Mm-hmm. So there's a really slim chance almost a 0% chance that somebody still has an active trog machine running in their shop just because, you know, they want to update to the latest stuff and they have every incentive to do that. And I asked him if they are, if there's any kind of a record of shops who might've purchased this game, like a client list. And of course, you know, they're not going to share that with somebody like me who has no interest in purchasing a game. But um, he said that such a list doesn't exist, at least not with them. So the trail kind of went cold on this as far as chasing down a distro. I'm still waiting to hear back, you know, if there's anything from Valley Midway, if they know how the games were bought and sold. But I'm not holding out much hope for that. So I decided to take a mathematical approach to this. And I, 
I have created what I call the search and destroy algorithm for this. So before I explain that to you, I'm going to show you a picture um, which will, which is actually kind of, kind of cool and promising. And this is also what's been messing with my head. Before I explain my mathematical approach, I commissioned mom, I recruited mom to dig through a bunch of old photo albums and to send me anything that she found that was promising. Mm -hmm. I already sent you a batch. She sent me a whole bunch of photos from that Colorado part of the trip. And there's a couple pictures that I didn't show you guys yet. Um, first of all, she showed me this. This is from 2001, the summer of 2001. You can see this is our house on Saddlewood. Oh, yeah. And what's cool about this is you can see every car that we owned at the time in the driveway. <laughs> yep. I don't know why anybody took this photo, but you can see our 1987 Toyota Tercel, a 1992 Honda Civic, I mean, a Honda Accord. You can see a 1993 Pontiac Transport. And then there's this white Jeep Grand Cherokee, which I think would have been Grandpa, uh, Vince. Grandpa Vince's. Had to be, yep. So, but wait, bro, you're forgetting the most important part, which is, isn't that a Lumina? Isn't that Grandma Nancy's Chevy Lumina? Actually, that's a really, really good spot. I'm really surprised that you spotted that. And the reason I'm surprised you spotted that is there's another photo that I have with Grandma Nancy there. So this would have been when, I think this was our high school graduation, and they would have come out to visit us. They drove the whole way? Well, I can't think of any other reason why they would have been out there that summer, because they knew that we would see them in July. Oh, yeah. So that's the only thing I can think. Wow, look at you. That's crazy. I know it, right? I'm gonna come. Um, I'm gonna come back in on this picture because this is the one that's been messing with my head. But before I do that, let me tell you how I calculated some stuff here. So what I did was I looked up the tank size of the fuel tanks and what the um, fuel mileage, what the you know fuel rating would be for those cars. Mm -hmm. So a 1992 Accord had a 17 gallon tank with a combined you know, highway and city mileage of about 22 miles per gallon. So we're looking at a 357 mile range on that. The Tercel would have had a range of 370 miles and the transport had only like 18 miles to the gallon, Oof. but it had like a 20 gallon tank. So that would have like a 320 mile range. So I kind of took these together and made a general average range and calculated where we would have had to stop for gas. So we would have made our first stop in Kearney, Nebraska. That's 334 miles from Des Moines, Iowa. Um, it's possible we would have stopped in Lincoln, Nebraska, or Omaha, but I mean, Omaha's 150, that would be too soon. Lincoln's 208 miles, that would have been a little bit too soon. So I'm thinking our first stop would have been in Kearney, Nebraska. That would put our second stop at either Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is 316 miles, or if we veered off there on 75, it would put us in Littleton, Colorado at 368 miles on day, on our second stop. Mm. Time-wise, you know, 300, 300 miles at a speed of 70 miles per hour or so means that it would take about four and a half hours, which would put us in Littleton, Colorado right at nighttime. If we left early in the morning, you know, at eight o'clock or something like that, it would be putting us there right around the evening, which is what Drew said. He remembered getting there in the evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we got up the next so, day and went... went Did alpine yeah. slides and stuff like that, right? 
So, I mean, I wrote down the stops, you know, that puts us, the next stop puts us in Rock Springs, Wyoming, somewhere near there, which is 344 miles from Littleton or 256 from Cheyenne. The thing is, I left open the possibility that we would have pushed straight through the Rockies during, like on the southern route instead of going back up to 80 right away. So, um, you know, if we did that, then we probably would have stopped at Grand Junction, Colorado, which is, you know, 249 miles of mountain driving, which means we wouldn't get as much gas mileage. Mm. Either way, we make our fourth stop around the Bonneville Salt Flats somewhere. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, it's a little bit too far to make it all the way to Salt Lake City. So we would have stopped somewhere near there. Then maybe Elko, Nevada, probably after that, Winnemucca or Truckee. And we could have stopped on the other side of the Sierra Nevadas in Colfax or Auburn. Now, this is just where we would have had to stop to get gas. Mm -hmm. I also thought, you know, there's, we're going to have to eat at some point. Now, if we timed it perfectly, if we left early in the morning and ate breakfast like at eight and then left exactly around that time, we'd be stopping for gas at the same time we're getting hungry, you know, at 12 o'clock and then again at five o'clock. But I don't think we would have done it that way, to be honest. So I marked down some halfway points where we would have stopped because we would be offset by about two hours. You know, assuming we left at like 10 o'clock in the morning instead of eight, right? Mm -hmm. We'd be offset by a couple hours, which means we'd get hungry about halfway on our way to where we need to get gas. So that gives us a list of like 10, 10 to 12 cities that we would have stopped in. And then all we have to do is look, look for pizza places in those. Awesome. I mean, it doesn't sound terribly complicated. It doesn't. And I actually did some pre preliminary searching in some of those spots that looked the most promising. Mm -hmm. um, and I found a few places that look, they look really, they look like the place, man. Um, so I actually, I actually called dad again mm -hmm. to ask him exactly what he remembers about the place where we played this game. And I recorded that so I can play the audio for you right now. Let's hear it. Hey, what's going on? So you remember that Brandon and Drew and I are trying to track down that road trip that we took. Right. So I'm wondering if you could tell me everything that you can remember. I picture us coming in and sitting down at a table. There's a table right in front of us and some games behind it. And then to the right of us, is the counter where you order food. And we started playing the game with the caveman guy. And I don't know if his name was Grog, but I think it was because we started calling Drew Grog. And he got all upset because he didn't like that name. He didn't like being called Grog. So, Brandon, tell me what you remember. Hmm. Well... I think I've just always gone with that it was a pizza place. I, I don't remember the eating or anything like that. I remember it was the shop was up close to the front windows. I mean, sorry, the, the arcade thing was up close to the front windows. And yeah, there were only a couple. Um, and yeah, I just remember us standing around the game and Drew being there and getting pissed at us when we called him Grog. I don't really remember a lot outside of that. Um, I don't. I. I don't. I don't think it was a truck stop. I mean, in, in, 
I, I, it's hard to say what I remember, but what I remember, what I think I remember is like a strip mall kind of thing. The image in my mind is like a strip mall kind of thing where, you know, there was like a pizza joint and then next to it could have been, you know, a dry cleaner or whatever, like that kind of thing. So I want you guys to look at this place right here. This is a place called Pizza Barn. It's in Elko, Nevada. It's sort of strip molly, but it's also sort of small towny. That looks exactly like I pictured in my brain. You see this here? Now look at, at right there next to the window. There is a sit down cocktail cabinet of what looks to be Pong or something like that. So the decor oh, yeah. is a little bit kind of rustic. It's not exactly like a cafe, like Dad said, but they have like one or two games. Oh, look at those. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, this is one that looks pretty promising to me. I have made a list of a few of these places, and I think all we have really to do now is to start making some cold calls and just see if they're the people who owned it in 2001 and if they ever remember mm -hmm. having an arcade game with a caveman in it. I did a little bit of that, actually. Yeah, so did you ever get a hold of this pizza barn place? I did, but it's another open-ended situation. So I, I managed to call the place a couple times. Uh, the first time I called, got hung up on before I could get any questions out. Uh, the second time I was able to get to a manager, and I have learned through her. I have just the first time I think, and I'll... Uh, not sure that just because I didn't get her approval, but uh, she had said this, the same owner has owned this place since day one, and she was actually an off and on manager since the early 2000s. Okay. So she'd be a really good resource for us as far as some things you know to note, maybe some other aspects of the restaurant. She didn't seem to remember anything about a caveman or even a dinosaur theme game, but just like you were saying before, she said, well, if you have questions about that, you need to talk to Russ. And so she gave me Russ's information, who turns out to be one of the uh, co-owners of a business called Tip Top Amusement Co. Ooh. And similar to your business, these guys rent out arcade machines, pinball machines, claw games, all the like. And so I tried to call him. He does seem like the regional manager, or sorry, regional sales guy, but I was only actually able to get a hold of an Adam who I think might be his understudy for a lack of a better term. Uh, and again, he said he hasn't been here long enough to really talk about it. It sounds like, you know, maybe I'll know a few games, but I think you should talk to Russ. So I'm waiting to hear back from Russ, who's like the the big honcho over at, uh, at Tip Top Amusement. Wow, that's good. That's really good. Because, I mean, if he... If he manages a place like Elko, that can't be enough to sustain him, which means he has to ha he has to represent that whole corridor, I would imagine. So I looked up the business, um, and it's a kind of a shoddy website. It's, I think it's some type of business um, tracker, if you will. And it showed that, at least as far as the website was concerned, that they are like the Elko Nevada amusement like sales company. So I think huh. they only manage that area, which might give us a, a better chance of actually finding any games within that, you know, that scope yeah. of the city. Yeah, they did, because Elko did have a few other pizza places. They had a round table pizza, which has a few games, I've confirmed. Um, okay, that's interesting. Now, there's another place that I, that I looked up. It's a place called Zeno's. It's in Truckee. Um, it has pizza, it has games. 
I don't know if it's the place or not, but looking at it on Google Maps, right near there, there's a place that sells like, it's like a jerky wholesaler or something like that with all kinds of jerky. And I thought, you guys, we just have to go on this trip and hit that place <laughs> up and eat yeah. our bellies full of jerky. <laughs> I want nothing more now than to play trog with a belly full of jerky. <laughs> right? Doesn't that sound good? So I, what I'll do is I'm going to make a list of all of these places. And what we'll do is we'll divide and conquer. I will give you guys each maybe five to ten shops in a particular area. And we'll all just call and try to see if we can find a likely candidate. That seems like the only thing left to do at this point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right, I'm in. Okay, so let me tell you, there's one other thing that I wanted to say. And that is, if you look at this picture, you guys still have it on your screen? I do. Yeah. So this is the part that I think I think I answered a question that none of us were asking. Um, while I was making these cold calls to all these different people, I kept anticipating a particular question. Even though nobody asked me, I kept anticipating that they would ask me, why do you care? Why do you want to know about this game? And I didn't, I didn't want to answer that because I didn't have an answer. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know exactly what to tell them, just like, oh, it's something that we're doing for fun. You know, like I felt like that wouldn't register with them and I wanted to have an answer. But when I saw this picture, something clicked in my head. Um, you can see that I'm loading up a car and there's actually another picture here. There's this picture, which is the same day. And you can see our little sister, Katie, she's dressed in like a swimsuit. So it's clearly the summertime and there's mom and dad walking by the car. Um, yeah. And first of all, before I get into the next part, you notice that dad's wearing that little hat. And I remember on that trip calling him LaFors after um, the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The guy who's chasing them is named LaFors and he wears like a little hat like that. And I remember calling him that on the trip. And actually, if you look at the picture from Colorado, that looks like the oh. same hat. Yeah, it's definitely the same hat. Totally. Right? Wow. So that's definitely that summer, and it could be the same trip. Like, this could be us getting stuff loaded for a trip. I don't know. Hold um, on. Not only is he wearing the same hat, but the same shorts. It looks like he just maybe swapped out a shirt on the road. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that much because he could have just been recycling the same outfit a day in and day that's out all true. the time. Mm-hmm. But back to this picture here. You can see that I'm holding stuff in my hand. And in this picture, I'm clearly loading it into the back of a car. So we're loading a car. And when mm. I thought of that, I thought there could only be two things. Either this is us getting ready for this trip across the country, or this is me putting my stuff in the car, getting ready to go to college. And all of a sudden, it hit me that this trip that we took was the last time all three of us were living under the same roof. Oh, man. And that's the part that's made me really emotional. And I might even get emotional on Mike. But, you know, Brandon, like we always talked about this legendary thing called the boys trip. Can you tell us about the boys trip? Yeah, ever since we were little, we talked about when we were kind of spurred on by our Nana. We talked about how uh, when we were old enough, when we were graduating school this summer of our graduation, we were going to take some big, huge boys trip and pretty much our whole growing up years, we planned that trip. You know, we'd decide what we were going to do and it was always some big 
huge thing. It was a big thing that we looked forward to our whole life, right? Because our dads took this epic trip when they were right when they became adults and they talked about it all the time and Nana talked about it all the time. And we always imagined doing it with Evan, me and you and Evan. Yeah. Yeah. Our cousin Evan. And we had, we had the roles pinned out, like, you know, planned out. This person's going to be the the person who keeps the travel logs and this person's going to be in charge of managing snacks and the way that kids talk about something like that. Um, but it was something that we always built up in our head and it never really panned out. Like, you know, I took a trip with Evan to Princeton and we took some practice ones, but we didn't do it. And it occurs to me that this was our boys trip. Like we took this cross country trip, these four boys on this epic adventure. It has all of the adventure in it. Like you falling off and getting fiberglass in your arm and us waking up drew at every state line and making him sing. Um, you know, all these little things that happened along the way, us getting caught in a hailstorm and breaking the car and stuff. It has all of the features, but none of us thought of it as the boys trip because it wasn't the way that we thought the boys trip was supposed to go. Yeah. But this was like our final hurrah. Yeah. You know, and none of us, what, what makes me feel emotional and like kind of tear up looking at it is if you look at these pictures, None of us realizes that. Yeah. You know, this whole thing has made me think um, in the same vein, like, I just wish I paid attention. <laughs> like, That's exactly it. Like, like, I have a feeling I know where my head was at in this season. It was probably completely 100% on my girlfriend, but it just makes me so sad that, you know, I mean, I was present, but clearly there was a big piece of me that wasn't really present in this moment. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I kept this, I kept thinking this whole time while I'm researching this, like you guys know me, like I have very, very granule kind of memory of like everything when we're growing up. I remember Mm -hmm. in very like detailed scenes of like, you know, all the kind of stuff that was going on when we were kids and whatever I don't remember, I kept, you know, I have this stack of notebooks that I have every little thing journaled in, you know, like, I mean, look Mm -hmm. at this stack of notebooks that I have. And it's, I have the, the quote unquote boys trip that I took with Evan, which was just me and him. And I have like the practice boys trip that you and I took where we went camping in Saratoga. Um, but I didn't think to write anything down from this trip. And obviously we were paying, we weren't paying enough attention to even remember the wedding or when this was or anything like that. And that's what seems like the biggest waste is that, you know, like this was our final hurrah as, as brothers. Um, and mm. I wish that Katie was on the trip, to be honest. I really do. This was our final hurrah as a family and none of us really even tried to remember it. Right. Bro, can I tell you something? Yeah. It's not, not too late. <laughs> <laughs> well... If anything, it impressed on me that like retaking this trip is something that I really want to do. Like recreating this trip yeah. and doing it consciously, um, you know, would be really, I don't know. I think it would put certain things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be really, really cool. And you know what I would hate? I would hate, I would hate to miss out on this because time is, I mean, I hate saying this like this, but you know, every time I hang out with grandpa Vince, which looking at this picture, you know, his Jeep, that white Jeep that Jake now has, yeah, that was a 2001 Jeep. I remember 
brand new. And every time I'm with Grandpa Vince, I just, I have to remind myself that it's not going to last forever. And I would hate to get to a point in our lives where we actually can't recreate the trip, you know, right. because of whatever reason. And that's, that's part of it, man. That's part of it because like these memories are getting harder and harder to trace down because the people who know them and the people who have photos of it and stuff are getting harder and harder to trace down. Um, you know, and this is only 20 years ago. So right. it's it just, it all kind of came down on me that this, the emotional arc of all of this is that, you know, these things matter. Like, even if it just seemed like a throwaway memory that we were playing a caveman game and we called Drew Grog, like, that's a memory that has meaning and, and a connection to all to all of us. Well, it's interesting that you said at the beginning of this that arcade games carry a time and a place with them, right? Like, we attach memories to smells. We attach them to to, you know, flavors, but we also attach things to like our experiences, like arcade games, you know, where were you when, when you played Rampage, you know, or Mortal Kombat or whatever, or Grog in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I don't have any major breakthroughs as far as, um, information, but I had a, I had a big emotional epiphany. I mean, I'll be honest, like, you, you, you know, I kind of, I kind of got teary eyed just now talking about it, but like when it, when it all hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I knew that I had to talk to you guys about it because, you know, I don't know if any of us ever thought about it in that way. I definitely didn't. Did you notice how quiet Norton got when you got emotional? He got real scared. I didn't know. I didn't get scared. I think actually I... It hit me too. I mean, I haven't thought about that aspect at all, especially being what eight or nine years old is what we speculate. I'm sure I was so focused on just like winning the approval of my brothers. Like it, it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't so much of a trip. It was just kind of like a rite of passage for me. And, and the fact that I don't remember much about it, I do, I feel like it's a loss, like a chance that I had. Because uh, now the time that I get with you guys is is special, so I don't know. Well, yeah, this would have been the only time, as we said in a previous episode, this would have been the only time that you took this trip with us without mom and Katie or anybody else. So yeah, it was a sort of male bonding experience in its own way. And I, I as I recall, this was probably the only male bonding experience that we got with with the three of us altogether. So. Good find. Those are good finds. Oof. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think we have some some stuff to go on to kind of find the place. But to be honest, I really think the only way to conclude this is for us to actually take this trip and go down those same paths again to see what, what memories are uncovered. Yep. I'm I'm totally sold. Let's do it. I think we should try to get a Pontiac transport. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a point to stop now. I will send you guys some homework to trace the next few things, but but I think that's a good place for us to to stop it.
All right. All right. Until next time, boys. Thanks, bro. All right. You've been listening to Searching for Grog. Thanks for this episode go out to Bill Esquivel. Also to Vicky Passion for digging through all those old photo albums. Kevin Passion for sharing your even fuzzier memories than we have. Thanks to Brian Collin for being such a good sport and for making an incredible game like Rampage. I'll always have an extra quarter for that machine. And our biggest thanks go out to Jack Hager for making the game Trog in the first place. Thanks for the incredible memories, Jack. Our music is by Captive Portal.